All right, ladies and gentlemen, of course, the bold prediction does not pay off this time. Brazil meeting expectations and beating Mexico 2 to nothing. Looking at the game as a whole, Mexico might have been doomed from the start, in my opinion. Their coach choosing to put Rafa Marquez in the starting 11, a very bold move that I think set them up for failure as he is 39 years old, and there's just no way he could play a full 90 minutes. So there's a guaranteed substitution right there, and that limits your options as a coach. Marquez came off the bench for their first two matches where he could be more effective, buttoning up the defense after Mexico gets the lead and then getting the wins. Juan Carlos Osario, the coach, I guess, thinking he wanted the defensive leadership early in this game. Uh, Their posture was not defensive by any stretch. In the first half, the game was fairly open for the first 45. But what ended up happening for Mexico, who had slightly more of the possession in this game at 52%, it just seemed that no two players were ever on the same page for Mexico. There were bright ideas all around, but when one player would do well to open up a play... Everyone seemed to be in the wrong spots or didn't see the play coming ahead of time, and so and so there's no one to finish the play. You end up getting the missed punch effect, I think, wasted energy compounding into frustration, and the team gets tired twice as fast. So that guaranteed substitution comes into play at halftime when Osario takes out Rafa Marquez. Another sub at the 55th minute, four minutes after Brazil's first goal, where William just seemed to warp speed past the whole Mexican defense to cross it into Neymar, and Mexico's lead striker Chicharito picks up a knock and would go out in the 60th minute. So three subs is all you get to use as a coach uh, in soccer in these games. You do get a fourth sub now if you make it to extra time. I think that's a new rule. But I think Osario burned them way too quick, and Mexico just had no energy in those last 30 minutes. Probably wasn't anticipating his lead striker getting an injury, but you got to plan for these things as a coach. Usually you see coaches stay conservative, keep the game close, and then introduce fresh legs in the 80th minute or so after you've brought your opponent's energies levels down a bit. But with all subs out and 30 minutes to go in regulation, Brazil just squeezed the game away from Mexico, absorbing the tired attacks and then countering at different speeds to mix possession play with quick counterattacks like the one that resulted in the second goal. Brazil are picking up steam going into the quarterfinal match versus Belgium, who also won today. So we'll see if the Belgians can stop this train. A huge matchup coming up on Friday that I, I can't wait for. I hope you're excited for it. Now, how did Belgium get there? Well, uh, with an instant classic. I told you they were deep on their bench, and the sub game for Belgium proving way more effective than Mexico's. Uh, Belgium would need their bench big time in this game, going down 2 to nothing to a wily as hell Japan squad. Belgium seemed to be in a dominant position for most of the first half, but every now and then Japan would spring a methodical attack. In the second half, these methodical counters, combined with very lazy decisions from the Belgian players, uh, I thought they gave up a lot of space, and it seemed at the wrong times they paid for it. Two great plays, uh, a nice shimmy by Haraguchi to free up enough space to nail the corner of the net, and then a heck of a knuckling long-range shot from Inouye, uh, flying in past Courtois the Belgian goalkeeper. But Belgium knew a lot of time left. Keep trying. They've got energy in the tank after resting their stars in the England match, and they would get one back with a weird header from Vertonghen in the 69th minute, just floating over the Japanese goalkeeper. Fellaini, a substitute, tying it up, and an amazing final push for the game winner from another substitute, Nasser Chadli. Courtois, the goalkeeper, catches a Japanese corner kick, and you just saw five Belgians start sprinting knowing they had a chance, and the stamina, after about 50 yards of running, a five-on-three emerged, 
and guess who? Substitute Chadley with plenty of energy getting on the end of a nice dummy. Uh, that's what Lukaku did, letting the ball roll through his legs for the onrushing teammate behind him. And Chadley puts in the epic game winner. Uh, this game had everything. It almost had a classic Honda goal, even. Uh, I mentioned a few episodes ago he scored an incredible free kick back in South Africa and almost did it again today. Check out the show notes for a video of the one from 2010. It's quite amazing to see. Uh, we saw incredible goalkeeping, uh, clever team play, individual efforts all around, and, and this one is an instant World Cup classic. Very fun to watch. A tough one for Japan, but the game is played over 90 minutes, and I don't think anyone will be saying that Belgium didn't deserve to win this game. It was a great battle. Kudos to Japan for punching above their weight once again. Previewing what's sure to be even more exciting action tomorrow, Sweden versus Switzerland. A great matchup, I think, as these two teams are on fairly even terms, uh, but Switzerland maybe with the slight advantage in terms of talent. They are unbeaten so far in the tournament. Sweden lost to Germany, barely, but Sweden is coming off that 3-0 win against Mexico. Uh, just to show you how close this is, Google has the win probabilities as such. Sweden with 33%, Switzerland with 35%, and a draw is 32%. Uh, you can't get any closer than that. Uh, it'll be a fun one for sure. England versus Colombia, a mouthwatering matchup, although a little sting taken out of it when you factor in that it's looking like James won't be able to play. Uh, he might appear as a sub. He did not partake in training today, a day before the match, and that's a big blow to their chances. They had to depend on a corner kick to get past Senegal when he was subbed out early. Meanwhile, England fielded a large contingent of their reserves. Their stars will be rested, which proved very useful for Belgium today, and they'll be hungry. One of those stars... Captain Harry Kane at just 24 years old again. He plays his club soccer for Tottenham, another London-based club. Through the 90s and early 2000s, they were probably considered a mid-table club, not terribly threatening, but decent enough. And then in 2007, you started to see the bright young star Gareth Bale, a Welsh player who skyrocketed in talent, considered one of the world's best now. And in 2009, Harry Kane began playing for the club, but didn't register an official appearance until 2013 as he was out on loan those first four seasons or so. Another interesting development happened in 2013. Gareth Bale transfers to Real Madrid to complement the talents of Cristiano Ronaldo. Kane makes 19 appearances, scoring four goals at the age of about 19 and 20, and then the next season, 51 appearances and 31 goals. In this uh, sort of Bale-Kane era, Tottenham finished in an average position of fifth place. Uh, the last three seasons, uh, they went third, second, and third. The 10 years before this era, they averaged a finish of 10th place, clearly doing way better in the recent decade. Everyone wondering if Kane will follow suit of the likes of Bale, who become world-class talents at clubs that raise in quality along with them, only to move to the top clubs for big-time money. However... Change may be in the air, or I guess lack thereof, the change being that players actually stay. Uh, we may be in a new era where players decide to stay at the clubs that help them have career breakthroughs. Kane signed a six-year contract just before England's first game of the World Cup. Uh, I think a lot of people thought he would have transferred by now uh, to one of the major clubs. And it was announced today that a similar player in a similar position, Mohamed Salah, who has led the resurgence of Liverpool, the Egyptian, he just signed a five-year renewal. When all is said and done, though, new contracts don't necessarily mean permanence. I mean, Neymar signed a five-year deal in the summer of 2016 with Barcelona, 
only to move to Paris after just one more season with the Spanish Giants. Signing a new contract is just the best way, and it's not that great of a way, for players to say to the club and its fans that they do want to stick around. But the reason why it's not that great of a way is because there really is nothing keeping them there as a big transfer fee is enough to let the player move on to another club. What might be enough to keep a player at a club like Liverpool and Tottenham is the prospect of being the one who brought that club to the top of the world and take or retake the place among the dynasties like Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United. So with all that said, I am picking England and Kane to progress tomorrow. Um, I don't think I picked for the first match, but I think Switzerland uh, will just edge out Sweden. Who the hell knows at this point? Enjoy the matches, everyone.